Hello everyone, I'm Jacob Kaufman. And I'm Richard Bimmer. And welcome to episode 10 of Rolling Release, our weekly podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. How you doing this week, Richard? Pretty good. Cool, cool. It was a. It was I still a, have not upgraded my. Still my, have. I've still not upgraded my distro. Still but. have not upgraded your distro. I still don't have wired internet yet, but <laughs> I've got uh, I've got my project partially completed. I've got a cord pulled into my room that doesn't have a plug on it. I had to cut the plug off to get the cord in here, so that'll be finished up by next week. Did you make any progress on on your distro thing at all, or is it just kind of zero percent? Awesome. <laughs> the good thing awesome. is, as soon as I do it, it won't take that much time. Right. I just need to. Set aside the time to actually do it. Right. Too it's bad the we, backup that I keep wanting to put if off. We, we would make that a feature if we could stream that, but we can't stream that because your computer has to restart while you're doing it. Uh, but yeah, this week was yeah. a much, much busier week for Linux news than last week. We got more stuff to talk about, uh, which I was pretty excited about. So we'll go ahead and jump in here. And the first story that we're talking about is System76's Pop! OS Linux distribution um, is getting a new improvement with the volume setting. And Richard, did we talk about Pop! OS when it came out? I don't think we did, did we? No, I don't think we did. Did you hear yeah, about it when it did. came out? No. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to be learning this as well. So System76 is the hardware manufacturer um, that makes some laptops and desktops made to run Linux, designed to run Linux. And they flew me out to the headquarters earlier this year, so I met a lot of the people there. I like that company. Um, however... Recently, System76 announced that because GNOME is going to be the default desktop on Ubuntu uh, 16.10, System76 is no longer going to ship Ubuntu on their computers. They are going to be shipping Pop! OS, their own Linux distribution. Um, and uh. and I, the reason I didn't talk about it is because, one, I didn't really like that they were doing this, so I didn't want to give it like market play, and two... Uh, it was already kind of getting the the same coverage that I would have given it on other shows like Linux Action News. Um, you know, a lot of times System76 has a huge benefit in Linux media because most of the media outlets in Linux are friends of System76. So 90% of the press coverage you see about System76 is going to be positive, overwhelmingly positive. Um, Pop! OS is one of the first times I've actually seen some of these major shows talking negatively about something System76 is doing, and I understood why. So just to back up a couple weeks, Pop! OS is it's a distro based on Ubuntu, and so far all that they're doing is they're shipping, basically they're just shipping a custom uh, theme. And they're, rather than just shipping the theme, they're making a whole distro for their theme. Seems complete overkill. It does seem complete overkill. Now, in the past couple weeks, they've been making some other improvements, like they've been making tweaks to the installer that uh, supposedly make it more fluid to install. Um, but really, they're, it's. I think they should still be shipping Ubuntu personally, and that's why I wasn't super excited about Pop! OS coming out. But uh, this story on Softpedia is actually not just about Pop! OS. It's also about Ubuntu 17.10. 17.10 got a feature that will let you use the volume keys on your laptop to raise the volume over the 100% limit. So, like, if you're, let's say, as the, the story notes, some devices at 100% can still come across as fairly quiet, um, so this way you can digitally increase the volume of your devices if the device itself is a quiet speaker. Have you ever used that kind of feature? Yeah, on my laptop, I can increase it. I can, by default, it lets me increase it to 125 yeah. just on, but I have to be in the... Um, like audio settings in my control panel yeah. manually, like bump it up for an application. Now what, I can't do that on the volume keys. What OS is that running? Because that's on um, elementary OS, okay. which I'm pretty sure is Ubuntu's yeah. base, right? Uh, 
Well, yeah, Ubuntu, Elementary OS is based on Ubuntu, but it's got Pantheon, which may add some more features. Yeah. Now, KDE already had this feature. Um, as I noted when me and Richard were talking about this in our chat, KDE already allows you to put the volume up to 150%, and it already allows you to have the volume keys on your keyboard go up to 150%. And I didn't use that on my desktop, but my laptop, uh, the audio interface is a little bit quiet that's built into there, so I actually do use that. Um, so yeah, now you'll be able to do that on Ubuntu, and then because it's an Ubuntu system, 76 picks it up for Pop! OS and call it their own feature too, because... You know, it's a derivative distro, that's how those work. Um, so yeah, I mean, System76 is doing some other things. Um, they simplified the installer by removing the time zone slide. So, I don't know if they're just going to have it auto-detect your time zone, and it better be right. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I kind of want to be out here. Yeah, um, and then System76's developers are actually working with the elementary OS team on a new installer to replace the one that they currently have. But yeah, that's what's going on with Pop! OS. I have been reading System76's blog posts. If anything revolutionary happens, then I would report about it. Uh, but yeah, for right now, nothing huge. So but... do they not, like, give an option? Just, like, when you select to, say, buy a laptop or configure one on System76 site, do they give you an option to choose between Pop! OS and, like, stock Ubuntu? For right now, or... I think they're planning on doing Ubuntu LTS or Pop! OS if you want a newer versions of your packages. I don't think that you're going to be able to get the latest version of Ubuntu. Um, and I th uh. once they get around a couple, like 18.04 is only like two releases out for Ubuntu. So once that comes out and Pop! OS is refactored on basing on that, then I doubt you'll be able to select Ubuntu LTS as an option anymore. Um, and yeah, that's that would be kind of annoying. It, I mean, ultimately, though, you're just going to probably change the operating system when you're that's the main, like, laptop anyway. Yeah, that, so. That's the main response like, to people. I'm not people, sure it's that important. Yeah, people who are like complaining about it like me, it's just like, well, you're going to wipe it out anyway, which I did, to be fair. When I got my laptop, it's in my unboxing video that the first thing I did was wipe out Ubuntu <laughs> yeah. and put Anter well, I tried to put Antergos on it and ended up getting Arch instead. But yeah, I... I don't know. I always liked that Ubuntu came on System76 laptops. Uh, just a sidebar to talk about this. I liked that Ubuntu was on the System76 laptops because Ubuntu is like the most well-known Linux distribution. It's the widest used distro. Um, and you know, and it's definitely fairly user-friendly. So fairly user-friendly, and it's not the most user-friendly anymore. I think at one time it kind of was, though, right? I mean, it kind of is still. Tr I mean, the the motto is uh, Linux for human beings. That's their slogan. For Ubuntu, yeah. <laughs> that's that's Ubuntu's slogan, and I mean with Unity, they kind of divided people when Unity first came out because it's like, oh, this is so different from the GNOME that we already knew. But then it, it ended up being a really simple desktop environment that a lot of new Linux users liked, and now they're discontinuing that and going to GNOME. Does that make it less user friendly? Maybe, but yeah, I some people don't even like some people recognize Ubuntu, but they don't know what Linux is. They're just like, oh. I've heard of Ubuntu, but um, but yeah, I, I yeah, just... Yeah, they don't even realize it's associated with Linux. I like the brand there. recognition of having the big software with the big hardware. Now that it's like Pop! OS, which people gave people gave System76 trouble because of the, the way that this is stylized, too. This is Pop! Exclamation point underscore OS. And it's like... That's not going to come up in Google searches. Google is going to strip out the punctuation from that, you know? Like, that's, yeah. that's not a good... It's not good to, to spell to people when you're telling them to look it up. Um, 
So yeah, System76, this is part of System76 trying to target new users who don't know what Linux is. That's why they're not calling it like Pop Linux. They're calling it Pop OS. Because at this point, they're, they've already got the market of Linux users who care about Linux. They're trying to get new users at this point. Uh, which is why they're making mm -hmm. their pretty new computers and they're making the their own distro now with a fancy theme installed because they're they're looking to target users who don't know what Linux is and just pitch their their OS as an alternative to like Mac OS or Windows. Yeah, they just gonna hopefully like annoy the longtime users. That's kind of the base because you don't want to lose your base when you're expanding to a newer market. Yeah, I kind of yeah. That's that's kind of what I've said about it in the past too. So we kind of have similar thoughts there. But yeah, I, I will keep an eye on what System76 is doing with Pop. When they first announced it, I was like, wow, that's great, because it's like a distro, they called it a distribution, or they called it an operating system for creators. But then, like, an, what would you say a creator is? Don't look at their what site yet. What would you say a creator is, Richard? Um, I don't know. I feel like creators are more YouTube, like people create videos, people who like edit things. I don't know. I never thought of developers and creators as really the same thing. I just thought they partially overlap in some ways. Okay, yeah. So, like, when they're talking about creators, they're mostly targeting developers on these these new things that they're making. Um, they're targeting developers who are not already Linux users. And that's a big market, uh, but then it's not me. Like, I was like, oh, creators, but then it's, like, not content creators, software creators, and hardware yeah, creators. Yeah, I always think like, that was what I more thought of was content creators. Right, than, right. I mean, but they're, they're targeting software developers, engineers, people like that who are, like, doing more important work, but, you know, it's not as fun for me to look at. But yeah. I don't know. I'm surprised that engineers <laughs> wouldn't be using Linux, but... Um, oh, you'd be like surprised. I, I mean, <laughs> when I was at S&T, there were, I, uh, hardly anybody, the only time people used Linux at S&T was when they SSH'd into a box using PuTTY on Windows. Like, nobody. Wow. The entire computer science like department was on Windows. All of the engineering students, which, like, 80, 70% of S&T is probably engineering students, they were all on Windows, you know. Gosh, um, yeah, like my entire CS department, we don't have any Windows systems. We only really? have Linux and Mac. And then um, their idea is if you want a Windows system, you'll just have one, like right. your own personal one in your dorm. Yeah. And we're trying to like teach you how to use yeah. the stuff that's more common in the industry and more standard. So yeah, yeah. that's what you're going to be exposed to. I don't want to say that makes it a better school, but hey, you know, um, <laughs> that's probably makes it a better school. Yeah, the System76 is doing some things. So we'll keep an eye on that. Like I said, um, if they have any updates that actually make it. Um, different than just GNOME with a different theme, then I will definitely put that in the show notes, or put that in the, the show itself. Um, next story, we didn't talk about what order we were doing these in, Richard. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm um, just going down the list. Talking about, the, yeah, <laughs> talking about Ubuntu, Ubuntu 16.04.3 LTS has been released, so um, that's cool. If you're using 16.04 and you're using year and a half old packages, then you can now get that many more security updates no feature updates because that's you know you don't get those on the LTS but um, 16.04.3 has been released it comes with some bug fixes some hardware improvements security patches um, there's a new hardware enablement stack is the big feature with this so it brings the Linux 4.10 kernel and that's the same kernel you get with 17.04 so you're effectively upgrading your base system while keeping your applications on an older version if that makes any sense to do 
Um, so yeah, that hardware enablement stack, if you get a newer kernel, you're going to be able to use newer devices because d drivers are typically built into the kernel with Linux for most devices. So yeah, there's also already some security updates available for 16.04.3. Now this just came out, right, on like Thursday, but then on Friday, the very next day, there were some Linux kernel security updates for that exact kernel, the 4. Dot, what was it, 4.10? Yeah, 4.10. So... There are four security issues that have been patched, uh, like I said, one day after the update to 16.04.3. And one of those is a, uh, it's a vulnerability they have fixed by the kernel update. It is a race condition between VFS rename operations and iNotify events in the Linux kernel. So Richard, do you want to explain what a race condition is? Um, so I want to understand that exact like specific situation, but basically in general race condition is where two sequences events that are supposed to happen kind of in an original program order are like happening at the same time and happening in a different order than the people who kind of designed it intended. And that's usually what causes the bug in that basically if the one operation was assumed to complete before another, it doesn't actually happen that way. And so that could mean then that something could have been changed where it shouldn't have been or and that can lead to all sorts of issues. I know that was one of the big issues that happened with the dirty cow exploit that allowed people to get root access. And um, I mean, I think that's pretty much a quick summary I can give on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this race condition, like I said, between VFS rename operations and iNotify events. Um, so what is VFS? Hang on, pause. Is that like a file system? Yes, VFS is the file system. Okay. And then iNode is the way it... No, hang on, hang on. VFS. That's where it's stored in Victor. memory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's virtual file oh. system. Okay. Not ZFS. Not ZFS. But yeah, so if you're... It sounds like if you're using virtual file systems, this kernel could... This kernel vulnerability could affect you, so you should install this patch. And that could allow a local unprivileged attacker to crash the affected system by causing a denial of service attack or execute arbitrary code. So yeah, the second vulnerability uh, could allow a local attacker to execute arbitrary code if the security flaw was combined with another vulnerability. Um, and apparently that one was so complicated they just didn't even bother explaining it in the Softpedia article. But there is a link to the canonical website with the security identifier if you want to actually read about the code of that. Uh, the third security issue was discovered in the Linux kernel's Virtio GPU driver which improperly freed memory in certain situations, uh, which could allow a local attacker to cause denial of service by consuming too much memory. Uh, what's the Virtio GPU driver? All right, it's a, uh, it's a KVM driver for acceleration, 3D acceleration for graphics in your KVM virtual machines. So yeah, they fixed like a memory-related security issue in that. And then there's also the last security flaw and the most important note to the Softpedia article. This security flaw patched in this update was discovered in Linux kernel's RxRPC Kerberos 5 ticket handling code, which failed to verify metadata, allowing a remote attacker to crash the vulnerable system by causing a denial of service as well as to execute malicious code. So all of these sound pretty similar to me. They all let somebody crash your system or possibly take it over. Um, so the point is that you should update your Ubuntu machines yeah. because particularly if they're running like a server for a site or a service particularly or if they're running either 17.04 or 16.04 LTS which are the two supported versions right now um, I don't think we should yeah I mean I, even if you're only using Linux on your desktop you should still 
update. Yeah. Um, but so, obviously, yeah. if you haven't updated for a website, that could be pretty big. Right. Because you don't want someone to be able to abuse this somehow. Yeah. Especially since there seems like there's bots that are always scouring the internet looking for sites that have the commonly known like exploits and vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so our next story is also about Ubuntu 17.10, the upcoming version. Wayland has been confirmed as the default display server for Ubuntu 17.10. I was surprised about this, Richard. Are you surprised by this? Um, pretty much, yeah. I didn't think it was, like, that close to being ready, right? Me neither. I didn't. I thought it would be a ways off. Now, I know Fedora has been, like, quote-unquote, shipping away them by default for a while now, but from my understanding, like, if it fails on Fedora, it just falls back to X, and I thought that was happening to a lot of people. So, yeah, the fact that Ubuntu is going to be shipping away, then, this is kind of, like we said, Ubuntu is supposed to be stable. It's supposed to be Linux for human beings. So, um, yeah, this is a big step forward for Wayland. Now, they are saying the reason why they're shipping it in 17.10 is because they have not made a final decision about 18.04 LTS, which is going to be the next version. So they might switch back to X if this doesn't go well for the long-term support that's going to be five years, because this is only a six-month release. It's not that big of a deal, but the five-year release they want to get right. So this is kind of a, a test run to see how people do with Wayland and how it works and how the fallback works and everything. Now, it is important to note, like Fedora, Ubuntu is also shipping Xorg included by default. So particularly if you're an NVIDIA user, right away, you're going to be using X. And that really, it sucks so much. And the thing is, you don't have to be an NVIDIA user, but you have to be using a, a... a proprietary driver to not be able to use Wayland. Uh, Ubuntu ships the proprietary drivers. Like, they've got one click installation I for. The, yeah, I usually have to use the proprietary drivers on yeah. my NVIDIA cards. Right, so. I mean, I've been to, I've talked about that, how, like, when I use the free driver, I my graphics card can't push all the pixels on my monitor. Like, it's too slow to move my mouse around. But then, so I need the proprietary graphics drivers. The open source ones are just too far behind. But, like, Fedora, they don't ship the proprietary driver in any of the repos they don't make it easy to get you can get them from nvidia's website but like fedora shipped wayland and they're like oh this is gonna work for everyone because we only ship open source drivers anyway ubuntu is friendly to proprietary drivers so the fact that like half of their users aren't going to be able to use wayland i really hope that that whoever is working on the nvidia drivers is going to get this stuff fixed in wayland you know or and or vice yeah. versa. I hope Wayland's going to fix this. From my yeah. understanding, Richard, have you read up about... Do you have an NVIDIA card yourself? You do, right? Um, yes, GTX 650. Yeah. It's ha- pretty old. Have yeah. you read up about the problems that prevent NVIDIA proprietary driver users from using Wayland? No, not exactly. I'm not... I'm still pretty far behind, right. so I haven't... Read I'm not going to go Wayland too really. far into it, but from my understanding, NVIDIA has given the tools necessary to make Wayland work with the proprietary driver, but they weren't the tools that the open source developers asked for. The open source developers asked NVIDIA to give them one standard to interface with the card. NVIDIA gave them another standard that the open source developers could use, but the open source developers are saying, no, you didn't give us the one we wanted, so we're just not going to support your card. You guys can all use X. And we're just going to turn our backs on on all those users. I don't like that. Um, I don't really like that, but it's there's not a whole lot of people out there saying, oh, you guys just need to bend to the proprietary people more. Like, that's not a big thing that happens in Linux culture. If the open source developers yeah. are going on strike against NVIDIA, then that's what's happening right now. So, um, so yeah, that's happening. If you're an NVIDIA user, then, yeah, you're probably not going to be using Wayland. If you're a big gamer 
Also, probably going to be using X, because most games uh, run on... Now, if your game does run on Way, then it's going to run better. But if it doesn't run on Way, then you're going to have to run an X. And yeah. then, um, if you happen to be using hardware that this next-gen display server tech doesn't play nice with yet, then yeah, it will have an X section available. Now, this doesn't say if it'll fall back automatically. This says it will be available. So I'd be interested to see if that's an automatic thing, or if it's actually going to just fail your login until you change it manually. Yeah, because obviously that would be inconvenient for a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. Right. I, I would imagine Steam that they were expecting to be able to if it doesn't do it automatically. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine it's going to fall back automatically. But yeah, um, and then another Ubuntu seventeen point ten story. Richard, lots of things about Ubuntu seventeen point ten this week. Um, it is going to have a desktop dock. So we talked a little bit earlier in the show. Um, like a few episodes back when Mark was still here, we talked about Ubuntu had a survey asking people what GNOME extensions they wanted pre-installed in Ubuntu. And like 90% of people said they wanted Dash to Dock pre-installed, right? And then, so yeah. what did Canonical do? They said, well, that doesn't mean we're going to install Dash to Dock, but we are going to have something similar to it here. Um, which this kind of seems like, considering the whole point of stopping Unity and going back to GNOME, seems to be to get rid of a not-developed-here-syndrome-type situation. The fact that they are now forking or copying Dash to Dock instead of just shipping it kind of seems counterproductive to the whole reason they're going back to GNOME in the first place to me. But what they're doing is they are taking Dash to Dock. It is actually Dash to Dock, uh, but it is a sort of a light version. It doesn't have all of the features. All that it does, it basically just... It puts the, the dock on your desktop, but let's see here. So they're not pushing all of the features that Dash to Dock has. They're only f pushing the features that fit in with both the GNOME shell and Unity design principles. So yeah, like I said, they're taking Dash to Dock, stripping out some of the features that they don't think are either useful or they don't think are very like pleasant to have by default. Now, if you do want the full Dash to Dock, they do go out of their way to note you can install the regular version from the GNOME Extensions website. There are no compatibility issues. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that they were... Yeah, so basically, they spent all that time getting the feedback on the survey, but they're not really following it. I mean, least, I mean, I would be surprised they're at least they're, including it bundled just so people can enable it. It's halfway there, though, because like they could have not yeah. bundled it at all, because stock GNOME doesn't have a dock at all, you know? Like, have yeah. you used GNOME 3? But I mean, I understand if they're switching from Unity to GNOME, right. then they feel like they need to right. <laughs> offer some sort of transition to people and have right. these features, and especially since they were asked for in the survey. Right, I mean, but this, it sounds I like... I personally never liked Unity that much, so... Yeah, I mean... I mean, I use it for... As far as that goes, I don't have a huge opinion, but... I personally liked Unity, but, um, but yeah, I think that having the dock on your desktop is doing what Unity did. You know, like it's there yeah. were like all of the extra features that Dash Dock has were not features in Unity. So I guess they're figuring why should we be shipping those if they weren't features in Unity? Um, but yeah, we'll see where that goes in the future. Uh, this next story is yours, Richard. Do you want to talk about Ubuntu moving the window buttons around? All right. So in Ubuntu 17.10, we have a lot of 17.10 articles in this, but they announced they'll be moving the window controls to the right, and uh, basically they're actually moving them back to the right because apparently in 2010 was the exact time they moved them to the left originally and um since unity is no longer the default desktop as we mentioned earlier or they're trying to keep them where they were back then they're trying to keep them kind of where they are before that 
And the more significant thing to me, actually, personally, was that they're going to have the minimize, maximize, and close buttons by default because GNOME doesn't actually have them and only has the close button by default. Mm -hmm. And I personally prefer that because I like the idea that I can easily minimize and maximize it without having to go, say, to my... Or either open a new virtual desktop or go minimize or maximize here. And I guess it's just because I'm used to that. Yeah. So I just like it that way. But I feel like that also kind of works because they're trying to keep with the same style they had in Unity, which they had all those three buttons displayed before. Yeah. And um, since this is only set up by default, there you can use the no tweak tool, obviously, to change it and reorder them if you want to. I don't know why you'd care a whole lot to, but again, this gets to personal preference, and apparently it's a much bigger issue than... I really assume because a lot of people are pretty like adamant on each side of this, which I never really knew, but because <laughs> I've just always been used to them on the right. Yeah. I mean, apparently though, in this poll that it showed that I took down here, a hundred percent agreed with me on the right. Uh, that's because so. you have ad block. Uh, the polls don't work. <laughs> it if only shows one person. Yeah. Uh, if you turn ad block okay. off, it'll show you the actual results. But, um, okay. the, now Mac OS has window. Does Mac OS have the window controls on the left? No, I'm pretty sure. They're... Oh, they might be on the left, yeah. I think they that's where left. Unity it's got that from. It's been a while from. since I've used Mac OS. I think that's where Unity got that from. But um, I personally was okay with them on the left, honestly. Um, I thought it was kind of cool at the time. Like, when I first used Unity for the first time, I'm like, oh, cool, they're on the other side. That's, that's different. <laughs> um, now, Maximize makes some sense. Even though in GNOME, you can grab your window, drag it up to the top, and it'll maximize. You know, it makes some sense. There is a Maximize function, have a button for it. Now, Minimize... Richard, I know you say that you're used to the minimize button because you're used to like traditional desktops like Mate or Windows yeah. Arrow, which has a taskbar. So does Mate has a taskbar. Now GNOME, here's my problem with minimizing in GNOME is that when you minimize a window, where does it go? I actually don't know in GNOME because I haven't used it recently. Yeah, but... when you minimize a window in GNOME, it goes into your your menu. So then you have to put your mouse oh, okay, to the top yeah. left corner, open up your activities menu and click on the window again to get it back. So it's not minimizing it, it's really just hiding it. And if you're putting your mouse up to the top left corner anyway, that's already what you would have to do if you were just moving it to a new desktop in the first place. Now when I was using GNOME, yeah. I had no problem adjusting to not having minimize buttons because GNOME has the best dynamic virtual desktops that I've had in any desktop. Now like KDE and Mate, you have a set number of virtual desktops, right? Like I've got nine virtual desktops here. Um, what do you have in, in Mate? Mate has four, I think. And I, I think you can configure it in Mate, just like you can yeah, in KDE. Yeah, I think that's a default value is four in Mate right. that I have. But GNOME, let's say you start off with two, you open up a window in one, and then it, let's say you open up a second window, drag it to the other one, then it gives you a third one. And then if you take out a window from that second virtual desktop, then it takes the empty third one away. Like It keeps it all neat and tidy for you in GNOME. And I think that's a really nice feature. I think that adding minimize buttons to GNOME kind of takes away some of the simplicity that the GNOME developers have successfully been able to add. But, you know, I can always just not use the minimize button, so I'm not angry that they're well, using anything. Since they are having a dock, it's a little tougher. Oh, that's reasons. true. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good thinking. It's not going to work quite that way. Right. And also, like, with... For me, I was more coming to this, coming from my laptop, which is running elementary OS and Pantheon, and I'm like, it, it always frustrates me because there's no minimize button in it, and so I always have to go all the way down to the dock and like click the icon to hide it if I want to make another window take priority yeah. over that, because I sometimes like to have them, that cascaded effect, mm -hmm. but I don't want to have to, so I don't have to maximize and focus on any one, but I do want something completely out of the way at one right. time, and not having a minimize button is annoying because then you have to scroll down, to, you have to move down to the bottom of the screen, 
and on a small laptop display that's somewhat inconvenient yeah and then to like hit it and hide it so i like the idea of it at least being there and certainly since people are used to this because it's coming from unity and they're trying to keep that consistency i would see why they would have that bit of fault mm -hmm. yeah that, that's good thinking about the fact that they're having the doc like really all these five articles should have been one article because this is all going to <laughs> yeah. this is all the same distro it's all going to interact with each other and uh, I guess we'll just have to see what the experience is like once it does finally come out in October. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds pretty interesting. They're yeah. almost kind of replicating a lot of the look of Unity in GNOME, which is kind of a cool thing to do, well, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, the Unity was like Certainly a functionally really wise. fancy GNOME extension in the first place. So, so <laughs> yeah. Um, our next story, um, the most important corporate, lin uh, yep, corporate server Linux distro gets refreshed and Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7.4 is out. Now, we talked about the beta for this in an earlier episode. I said we would cover it when it's out. It's finally officially out, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7.4. I imagine CentOS Linux 7.4 is not far behind because, obviously, Red Hat, you got to pay for. CentOS, you can get for free. But, yeah, it's got some new security features, updated audit capabilities, um, a new USB guard feature, which is a software framework that protects your servers from rogue USB devices. Um, sounds interesting. There's enhanced container server functionality with full support for SE Linux. Um, now, Red Hat is no longer using deprecated, insecure OpenSSH algorithms by default, and that includes like SHA-1-based key exchange algorithms. So some older encryption algorithms like Blowfish, you know, that they're not using those old insecure algorithms. They've updated some newer ones. Uh, there are some performance enhancements. So there's NVMe over Fabric. Uh, and I don't know that that's a NVMe non-volatile memory is a an interface for SSDs. Like my laptop has an NVMe drive in it. But um, this says now what is InfraBand fabric infrastructure, Richard? What is that? I would not know. Because they're like I'm trying to figure out exactly what article we're in. Uh, this so is the ZDNet. ZDNet. Nope. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Basically, this new storage technology can handle up to 65 and a half thousand data transfer queues at the same time uh so if you're running a cloud that might be nice um you've also got general public cloud enhancements by decreasing boot times um to better enable mission critical applications to start sooner there are some new container features there's some new devops features multiple architecture support uh red hat makes red hat enterprise linux not just for like 64-bit regular old processors they make them for IBM power processors if you're using like a power 8 system or something IBM system Z 64-bit uh, ARM processors are development preview they're working on ARM architecture support for uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux which is pretty cool and then yeah, um, cool. yeah there's IBM power little running Indian architecture huh running it on a pie yeah yeah that would be really interesting I don't know who would pay that much to run Red Hat on a pie but we'll see We'll see. And then, uh, yeah, another uh, <laughs> IT Pro Windows uh, also reported on Red Hat Enterprise Linux for whatever reason. But they they listed a couple of the features. Like I said, enhanced container security functionality through SE Linux, uh, which which um, Red Hat and its derivatives have always been big on SE Linux. And then, yeah, we talked about, last time we talked about this, when it was in beta, we talked about the Red Hat Enterprise Linux system roles. So that's a technology preview that will let you get up and running quicker by giving you a preset, basically, for if you want your server to do a specific thing that somebody else has already set up. Then you can install a system role. 
And that is a technology preview in 7.4. Anything you have to say about that, Richard? No, it sounds pretty cool. I don't use Red Hat Linux much and haven't, so. All right, me neither. Well, it just sounds interesting to me, but. Yeah. Now, at some point, we I noticed they talked about the Open Container Initiative, too, and we kind of talked about that oh, two, two weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, the architecture support. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, that it's doing fairly well, then, because it's getting integrated now into some major kind of big things. Yeah. And, Richard, our next story is about GNOME logs. You want to talk about it? Okay. So, basically, they're switching... Okay, I want to get this right because I haven't used either. So, <laughs> basically, an Ubuntu um, developer proposed they're replacing the aged um, GNOME system log app that Ubuntu has currently with the newer GNOME logs app. And um, basically, the last release of GNOME system log was four years ago, hmm. and it cannot display system MD logs. So it's uh, pretty old. Yeah. Apparently, it like doesn't look very good. It Older also just hasn't updated in a while. Yeah. <laughs> And it doesn't even support systemd. Which, which a lot of, of logs are run through systemd. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're missing a lot of interesting stuff. On the other hand, though, the new one, GNOME Logs, also has some pretty big drawbacks. In fact, it forgets logs between boots. It also doesn't support um, dpackage or the apt package managers. And so all those are some pretty big issues, I would think, too. So it seems like, in my view, that they should really just clean up one and focus on that as being the primary kind of default log viewer because yeah. both of these seem to have issues. Like, I feel like you'd need to probably have both installed, if it, ideally. Yeah, if it forgets <laughs> logs between boots, properly. maybe it's not so much for analyzing logs as it is for, like, real-time watching them. Um, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming it doesn't delete the logs, it just forgets that they're there. Yeah, because I assume it just never records them in, like, any permanent records, I guess. I like, think what it does, I'm pretty sure GNOME logs, just, like, in the GNOME system log, I think they just read your logs from slash var slash log. So it's not like, uh, okay. like, they're not, this isn't where your logs are stored, it's just a, a, a yeah. way to read them. Uh, that's a little bit nicer than using nano that or gedit. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and where you can probably actually like organize stuff and sort it and find. Now this like, isn't the first time we've really we've quick. seen something like this happen. What was the the story last week about one nomad being replaced by another? Oh, I wish I remembered that one. I can't remember which one. We talked about it, but they did do that. Oh yeah, it was the disk managing one. No, I don't know if it was. Or no, was it's it Gnome Tweak to... Tool was renamed to Gnome Tweaks. Okay, that was a while. Back. That, was, that two was two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Right. Two weeks ago, Gnome oh, okay. Tweak Tool was renamed to Gnome Tweaks. So yeah, GNOME is, uh, they're renaming the things to all be shorter names and plural names, and they are also consolidating things, because also, like, they discontinued Banshee a while back, but they recently discontinued Rhythmbox, or effectively discontinued it, and now they're making GNOME Music, so, like, they're making all these newer, simpler apps, uh, so that is interesting to see that they're going in that direction. So yeah, any other thoughts about that? Doesn't Ubuntu Unity even include GNOME Rhythmbox? Um, uh, yes, it included Rhythm Box, but, like, it's no longer being oh, actively okay. developed. It's not being updated. All right. At least I don't think it was. We did an episode about music players a while back. Okay. Um, Which I did not see then. It was one of our better episodes with Mark. But, yeah, um, this was a pretty simple story. I think we've covered it pretty well. The yeah, next... Yeah, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Yeah, the next one was about Kmail, right? Yeah. Kmail user survey. So this was a pretty simple story. You want me to cover it? Do you want to get it? Uh, you can get I it. I did highlight it. Yeah. All right. So basically, um, Kmail, um, neither of us use desktop <laughs> like mail clients. Yeah. So this wasn't a huge story for either of us. But um, basically, the team behind Kmail, which is the contact personal information manager, is what apparently 
And, oh, and the contact personal information manager. Yeah. So that's the two different products that these developed right. in the suite. So they wanted to better understand the users and what they're doing with Tmail. Mm -hmm. And um, so they're trying to focus, trying to figure out how to focus the development on features and fixes that users want and better tailor the default settings, which obviously that's an important thing too. You want to have make sure your default settings and layout accommodate who's actually using your program. So they just made a quick survey and um, it has a lot of things about people who use it. Yeah. Like, I'll actually just bring it up now since my screen's on screen. There but you go. If you just click next, this is just um, how satisfied are you with Kmail in general and features it offers. And you can either give no answer or, geez, just various ones for each thing. They have like different uh, ones. Obviously, to a fault, it's no answer. Like, I think we'll just run through this next part here. And um, then they do telemetry. So they were kind of interested, I look like, in whether people wanted the default setting or whether people were fine with the by default sending information back to them about the usage. Hmm. And that's kind of a big deal because I guess a lot of people get kind of upset over that privacy because yeah. by default, particularly if you're not alerting them over this. Right. Like, it's understandable if it's been checked by default and there's a message that clearly states what's going on. Yeah. But if you're not at least informing them of it, that's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm pretty sure beyond that was just demographics. It wasn't quite as... Yeah, this is all just demographic information and more information about how you, like, fix things, where you've used it, etc. So the kind of bulk of it was the features that people were happy with and um, the telemetry and whether it should by, be by default. So this said something about layout, but it doesn't mention a whole lot about layout other than on the first page. But basically, it's a fairly standard um, email client from what I've seen. It just kind of supports yeah. the main features that I mentioned. Integrates with and, KDE um, nicely in your yeah. KDE apps like the contact and everything. Yeah. If I used KDE, that would probably be <laughs> a yeah. little more significant to me. Like I consider using Kmail just because I'm already using KDE everything else. Uh, I still use webmail personally myself, but if I was going to use something, I might be incentivized to use Kmail rather than like Thunderbird because Thunderbird is GTK and Kmail integrates into KDE. It's a QT app, uses KDE libraries, that kind of thing. So yeah, so that's pretty um, much it for that story. Yeah, there. if yeah. you use desktop email clients, especially if you use Kmail, um, even if you don't though, you can go to, yeah, take that Kmail user survey. I really like, by the way, that KDE has survey.kde.org. They have their own survey system set up. That is just like KDE. Like when GNOME or when, U, when Ubuntu had their survey running, it was through Google Forms. KDE has their own self-hosted free and open source. It looks like yeah. looks like a program called Lime Survey that they've got set up. But yeah, they have their own subdomain uh, with everything hosted. That is uh, kind of neat. Just as Apparently a, also remembers where I was when I closed it. Oh, that's nice. As I closed it and reopened it, remembered exactly where I was in the yeah. thing, as well as my answers. Mm -hmm. All right, and our very last story this week is about a new Mozilla file sharing feature. You want to talk about it? Okay, so Mozilla has a new file sharing feature, mm -hmm. and basically it has an emphasis on kind of encryption, being secure, being fast. It's also basically an emphasis on kind of only a one-time use. Yeah. And so basically it's called Firefox Send. And it's an experimental feature that they did, which means they can kind of revoke it at any time. Right. So you shouldn't get too dependent on it, but it's definitely a cool thing to use. Yeah. So the cool thing is you can, it says go to send.firefox.com in Firefox. It works in any web browser. Okay. Um, it's not like some of Chrome's like experiments where they only work in right. Chrome. Or like and, Google Docs um, that only works in Chrome. Or, yeah. yeah. And so, as I mentioned before, all uploads are encrypted, so not even Mozilla knows, quote, what you're sending. I was a little curious about that because I imagine, like, if they're able to decrypt on the other end, that means 
there's so I don't know if the keys in the URL. I kind of actually want to try it. Yeah, we were talking about that URL before generates the show key. started. Yeah, how uh, we don't know how they're encrypted or where the decryption comes but from. If that is the case, we can just I guess show it off right now. Send up Oh yeah, if you want to send me something. So it's so it's a really simple thing here. I guess you can move off my screen while I find something to send. Sure. Yeah, hang, hang on. All right, all right, I'm um, off your screen. Just, just so yeah, now when home. I first, what I told Richard when I sent him this article was when I first saw the screenshot of this, I've seen very similar products that were peer-to-peer. -peer. Like in a web browser, you put it in and send somebody else a link, but it was a peer-to-peer. -peer. Once both people are in the web browser, it sends from one to the other. No server in the middle at all. Um, however, this is not a peer-to-peer -peer syncing solution, right? Or it's not a peer-to-peer -peer sending solution. Yeah, this it is, doesn't appear to be. This does have a server in the middle. Now, they say they encrypt your data, and Mozilla says they delete it shortly afterward. Um, but yeah, this is being stored on a server in between you and somebody else, which can be nice sometimes if I don't want to have to worry about my upload speed relative to your download speed or things like that. Um, or you just like your computer might not be on then when they right. <laughs> receive it on the other end. Because, yeah. I mean, the cool thing is, this is 24 hours, so I can just drag, I'll just okay. drag something in. You can go back to my screen. Okay. But this is like 24 hours. It lasts. You can see encrypted, it, and this okay. is ready to send. We have a download thing, and we do have a hashtag there, which makes me think that one here is the file, like ID, and then the hashtag mm -hmm. might be the key to decrypt it. Yeah. So if I just copy to clipboard and send it to... Okay, where is Skype over here? Got to find the Skype chat. But if I just send it to you, you should be able to, like, it'll decrypt it on the other end. And I guess that means right. if you don't have the important thing, it could maybe not have the code. We could try even pasting it I'll... here without the hashtag part. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, it might just say not found. Um, all right, no, now see, I put and it now in. it found the file right. without the hashtag. I was part. about to that's say that. I'm showing my screen right now. I took the hashtag away, and it did show the file. When I click download, though, uh, something went wrong without the hashtag. Yeah. But then if so I do it... So clearly the hashtag is probably a key. If I do it with a hashtag, that is cool. All right. So Me. that really means that they can't actually detect what you're sending, cool. which is well, pretty cool. Well, they could still, if they keep that key, they say that they don't. Oh, okay, yeah. But I'm, well, or if this is open source, then... Unencrypted copy of the file. <laughs> yeah, no, if this is open source, then it might very well, there might be the code that shows that it, if that happens, if the encryption that is happens legit. on client yeah, side... Yeah, they're not tricking you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... Also, though, just I want to point out, you can't use this for public downloads because it is one download and or in 24 hours. So oh, so if I... Downloads it in hang on, so hours. I'm going to go back to my screen. Now I'm going to open an incognito window. And if I paste that in again now, then it's going to say, this link has expired. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. That could be an advantage as well if you want to send somebody something once but not have to worry about other people getting to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's neat. definitely an interesting idea. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. All right. That was the last story we had to talk about this week. And uh, we're going to try doing news only on the show for a little while. I know we've been having feature segments the past few episodes, but they've kind of been getting long and not very informed. Um, so we're just going to give those a little bit of a break and try doing just news for now for this show. Let us know what you think about it down in the comments below. Hey, if you like the show and you want to help us uh, make more videos, go to nerdclub.nots.co, and that is where you can join the Nerd on the Street Nerd Club. You can uh, join for $3 per month is how much it costs. You can go through Patreon or just prepaid through our website. Uh, we got some cool things on our website, like a live stream DVR. We take away the banner ads on our website, things like that. And in addition, you're helping Nerd on the Street make more content, which we always appreciate. 
Um, for now, though, you can that, see all the behind the scenes. Though. Yeah, see <laughs> all the behind the scenes. Forever to actually get done. <laughs> see me and Richard highlighting articles for an hour every week, for sure, yeah. for sure. Um, so yeah, Richard, where can people go throughout the week to find you if they want more? Uh, more um, Glorf twenty two on Twitter or richardsprojects.net just to see my general site where I have like some more information and stuff I've created and done. All right, and I'm Jacob Cowboy. I also have a blog that I occasionally update there, but okay, <laughs> not yeah. very frequently. Yep. If you want to find me, I'm at JacobGK on Twitter, or I'm at NerdOnTheStreet.com if you want to find, like I said, the other videos we make here at Nerd on the Street. For now, though, that's everything we had to talk about this week. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again today, Richard. Um, always a pleasure to do videos with you. And, uh, yeah, everyone, I'll see you all next week. I'm Jacob Kaufman. And I'm Richard Dimmer. And keep using Linux, everyone. Bye. <laughs>